Please uh, open your Bibles to Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6. Um, while you're doing that, um, many of you know that uh, my beloved Detroit Tigers gave way to the Texas Rangers last night. You know, and um, Missy, Missy Pennington is a big Texas fan, yes? So I wore my blue and my red just for you. So I'm happy for all y'all from Texas, uh, even as I weep. But, um, yeah. Um, we asked you, as you know, to share. To share what worries you, to share what you wonder about, and to share what you wish was different. And uh, boy, did you respond. We got um, about 30 responses to each question, almost 100 questions. And so for the next four weeks, as advertised, um, I'm going to share with you some thoughts that God's put on my heart as I read and I pondered your questions because you asked for it. Now, when planning this four-week series originally, um, my thought was take a look at the questions, maybe take the four most popular questions and, and make them, you know, one each, the subject of four different messages. I've since abandoned that plan. Yeah. You know, each question deserves our attention because we're family, and even only, if only one person is asking the question, it's important in family. And uh, as I'm looking at them, as our creative service team was looking through them, they're such good questions, all of them. And going over your questions, I quickly felt, uh, I felt frustrated over not being able to address everyone's question in four weeks. And your questions were so good. They were so deep. I mean, you guys are asking the big questions, as you'll see in a minute. I, I'm sitting there thinking, I, any one of them, any one question would take four weeks for me to give the answer that they deserve. And so I'm, I'm going to do a couple of things. First, I'm never, ever going to ask you for your questions again. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, here's what we'll do. First, I've got your questions, each one of them. I printed them all out, and I taped them across a bookcase in my office. And I'm going to leave them up there, and I'm going to get to them, every one. It, it may take me a while, maybe a year or, or three, but I'll get to them, at, each of them, at some sermon in some way down the road. I promise. I'll check them off each week that I feel like I've got one or two that we've covered that morning, and so that's what we'll do. I'll get to each question. And second, we've got the four weeks in front of us, and here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to try and place, I'm going to try and build and put in place three foundation stones. And they're, they're stones that I believe are common to every single question that was asked. Three main foundation stones. And, I, and I'm going to name those three stones after the three questions we asked you about. So the, the foundation stone this morning I want to talk about is worry. 
Next week, we'll talk about wonder. And then third week, we'll talk about wishing. And then week number four, we'll do something a little bit different. We'll get rid of the podium. We'll have a couple of chairs up here. We'll find someone, and we'll do kind of a, a question and answer thing. And I'll try to answer specifically some of your questions, at least, as directly as I can, at least those questions where I feel like I can do justice to them in, in a few minutes and at least point you to other resources. So we'll have kind of a Q&A uh, in the first Sunday in November, and that should be fun, I think, or um, enlightening, or both, we'll see. But for this week, let's talk about worry. And wow, as I read over and over and over your questions, it dawned on me and I realized we are worried about a lot of things, brothers and sisters. Even after, even after I tried to loosely Try to loosely group together your questions to, to, into different categories to try to get a handle on it. Even after doing that, I came up with 30 different areas of worry that we have. I made a top 10 list of our, of our most common worries. We'll start with number 10 leading up to the, the most common worry that we had in a community, at least those of you who, who responded. See how many. See how many on this list might make your own top 10 list. Number 10, the 10th most thing that we're worried about is community. Many of us worried about feeling or being alone and not having a community or a place that we can belong. Number nine was our country. Number eight, end times, or, or the future, how that was all gonna come down. And I, I could have put that broadly with number seven, which was questions about God's plan in our lives. Number six, number six is money. No surprise there, right? Given these times in particular. Number five were Questions all grappling with and wrestling with uh, the human sinful nature and, and evil in the world, and particularly violence against innocence uh, was number five. Number four, marriage and family relationships. Number three involves our personal relationship with God, how he feels about me how he feels about us, how he interacts with us. Our second greatest worry is our children. And that's not surprising to find that on top of the list. And you know, if I had combined children with marriage and family relationships, that would have been the number one worry that we all have by far. And the number one worry, at least in the categories that I've put them in, Questions about our witness. How is it that we're supposed to witness? How is it that we're supposed to love? How is it that we're supposed to uh, evangelize that kind of big, scary church word? What, what is the role uh, of this little C church in the church? And what's our role in it? The, the number one area of questions. And boy, you look at that list, right? Pretty daunting list, isn't it? That you look at it long enough as I've been, the, you start to get worried just looking at the list. It's a, it's a worrisome list. And isn't it interesting, isn't it telling that 
everything on the list except maybe money or end times or country, everything else really in some way or directly relate to, to relationships. That's something, and you can make the case that money in times and country has relational component to it as well. But it's interesting that, you know, we're worried, we're wondering, we're wishing about uh, our relationships with God and with other people. Now, just to be clear, there's a difference between concern and worry. Okay, of course we're concerned about things. We should be concerned. Responsible and, and loving people should be concerned about things. But it's when concern gets to a point when it, when it crosses the line into things like despair or fear or hopelessness, when our concern starts to consume us, control us, and in that way become an idol almost, when our concern becomes so in our face that it blocks or causes us to turn away from keeping our eyes on Jesus, our eyes on God, well, the concern stops being responsible or a healthy thing, and that's when it turns into unhealthy worry. And Jesus talks about worry in his so-called Sermon on the Mount. I say so-called Sermon on the Mount because it's really not my picture at least either, or maybe yours either, of what a sermon's like. I picture a sermon, I picture a lot of people, uh, large crowds and it's often mistaught about the Sermon on the Mount. You look carefully as it transitions into Matthew 5. He's with crowds, but then he takes them, and in context, them is his disciples only, and says to them. It's just to the community of the 12. It's to those who have already decided, you know what, I'm a disciple of Jesus. It's that inner group. It's those who have already committed, like you or most of you, I would imagine. And so it's to us, it's to a community, to a church, to a people of God that Jesus takes the time in the short time he had with his disciples to talk about worry. It must be important if it makes it into that sharply edited piece that Matthew and Luke wanted us particularly to know and to remember and to benefit from. Your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Here's what Jesus has to say about worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more valuable, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like even one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's the very word of God. Amen? Now, for this morning's purpose, I've organized my thoughts into two camps, two types of worry. One type of worry is the worry about things that we can control. The other type of worry is about things that we can't control. Or in other words, the worry that comes from things that we end up doing to ourselves or happen because of our own doing versus those things that we worry about that come from someone or someplace else despite our best efforts, you know, to keep it from happening. Two two different kinds of worry. First, I want to talk about the things that we can control. There's a lot of worry, in my opinion. There's a lot of worry that comes from our own doing, isn't there? One example we saw on our list, at least part of that example at least, is one we saw on our list, that that worry that we have about about money. There's a video that I came across that, that sums it up with some humor, uh, I think, quite nicely. Let's watch. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? (laughs) Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. (laughs) Now I'm really confused. (laughs) It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. 
Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. <laughs> I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> ah, the timeless Steve Martin and Amy Pullen. Um, How much, how much, how much of your worry, how much of your worry, how much of our worry comes with what we decide to do, or in this case, what we decide to do with our money, or without money? <laughs> you know, the, the American way, the American way when it comes to money, sadly and clearly, is debt. As of yesterday at 4.32 a.m., you can track the national public debt on like this winding clock thing online. I had it on in my office for a while and just watched that thing, and I had to turn it off because it was depressing. As of 4.32 a.m. yesterday, our national debt was nearly $15 trillion dollars. That's about 48000 per person of the 311 million or so that are in the United States. $48,000 in debt for each of us. Each day, the average increase in our national debt is about $4 billion. We come up short. We come up short $4 billion a day. And, 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 and we thought our own checkbooks were a mess. So no wonder, no wonder individual Americans follow suit. People learn from their leaders. We grow up and we're involved in a culture and we just assume and it becomes part of us, oh, that's what you do. You go into debt. That's what our leaders have been teaching us to do. But it's what I love about the video. It puts it in, in a way that's obvious but isn't, but it should be. And what I'm talking about, it, you know, we don't have to do that. What a thought. We get caught up. We get caught up as consumers. We love stuff. I listened to Jim Rome is burning once in a while. I think he's entertaining. Had some guy on the line and Jim was saying, hey, you know, are you going to get the iPhone 5? And the guy says, yeah, I'm going to get the iPhone 5. And then Jim Rome says, have you, heard, have you heard what's different about the iPhone 5 from the iPhone 4? And the guy's response back was, who cares? Got to have it because it's the iPhone 5. Isn't that ridiculous? Or at least if you're not quite with me, ridiculous. That's our choice, yes? We don't ha you don't have to get the iPhone 5. It'll be okay. Breathe. We're caught up in getting stuff. 
And lots of it, at least in my life, if you're like me, is stuff we don't need but merely want. And here's the thing. Our stuff is a huge source of worry, or potentially. I'll never forget a story uh, James Dobson of Focus on the Family once told. It was 10, 15 years ago. I've heard uh, Dr. Dobson speak. This is the one thing he's ever said in 15 years that I remember at least for a long time. It's stuck with me. He tells this story about an office clock, an office clock that he gets as a gift. And it's this beautiful, you know, kind of this big. It's got a little, um, he said it had a pendulum on it, and he put it on his wall and just loved this clock. And then he tells the story of the clock. It wouldn't keep time correctly. You know, he kept trying to twist that little thing to make it good. And he couldn't get it. It's either five minutes fast today or five minutes slow. It's way off. And then it stopped working altogether. Now he's got to bring it in good time in his day to go bring it to the clockmaker. He's out 400 bucks. And he's got to bring it back. And then it still doesn't work. And then he, this went on for months. And finally, Dr. Dobson says, why don't I just get rid of the clock? <laughs> and he did, and his testimony is his level of worry eased. How many clocks in your life? A hundred? And clocks, not, you know, wow, he thinks I have a hundred clocks. You know, metaphorically, how many things in your life that you don't need but you choose to have is consuming you and, and, and leading you to worry? How many? We have a fish pond. Used to be a fish pond. Now it's just a pond. We had fish. Named them after the characters in the TV show Alias. And Sidney, Jack, and Sloan, they kept dying. So we'd replace them, and then Sydney would die again. And then when Sydney died especially, my kids would cry. So now I got dead fish and traumatized kids. So we stopped getting fish. We used to have lilies in the pond, but they kept dying too because the chemicals, finally, I, I just had to get because it's the only thing that, I'll tell you, Colorado, we've got the deepest, darkest, scariest, impossible-to-control algae you've ever seen in your life. It's like the pond, we, we missed it for one summer for a few weeks, and we came out, looked at the pond, it was like solid string green, you could walk across it. <laughs> and the lilies didn't like that, so they died. So now, it's a fish-free, lily-free pond. And then... The pond and the little river leading to it leaked horribly. Got this huge water bill, scared the wits out of me. How can, and thankfully, Denver Water will let you correct it if it's something you don't know. So I had to get some, some, some big, strong guys in with big equipment, this major project to get rid of the river and like make it shorter and patch the leaks, and it still leaks. My water bill just loves this pond. And my annual spring project of cleaning this thing, you know, it is disgusting, and it's time-consuming, 
and it's expensive. And so one spring, one spring when I was knee-deep in pond gook, and I had just slipped on some old algae, because algae, the stuff on the outside is dry, but that slimy stuff is still underneath there. So I'd slipped on it, fallen down on my butt, nearly broke my neck, and I yelled out. Literally, I yelled out. Jill, Jill came running from inside the house. She thought I killed myself, or I was dying. And I yelled out, just in disgust, what in the world am I doing with this pond? And then I thought, I'm choosing to have and to maintain this pond. I'm doing this to myself. And I had wild thoughts. <laughs> I could fill this pond with dirt, put rock on it, a rock garden. <laughs> Lasts forever. Don't have to do anything to it. You get the idea. How many ponds do you have in your life? How many clocks? Hey, I know, radical idea for combating worry. How about let's get rid of the worry that we do to ourselves? What a thought! Now, of course, when we measure about what things cost us in terms of headache and worry, we balance that against any blessing we receive that eases our worry and, and, in fact, blesses us. But, you know, we should, if we haven't, we should, in my opinion, continue to make that discerning thought on the balance of things. On the balance of things, that pond has still made the cut, but barely. <laughs> Love the sound of running water. It's very peaceful. It's beautiful. So there's a benefit from the pond, and it's on the cut line. It's been good lately. So. But my point is we ought, to, we ought to take a look at every purchase we make. You know, everything that we purchase, everything we purchase, you're taking on responsibility, some level of it. And any responsibility we take on, it could lead to, uh, to worry. How about the things that cause us to worry that we can't control and, and get rid of, even if we want to, like our kids? No, I'm just kidding. You know, if any of you, if any of you had, you know, if any of you had answered the questions online, I know you didn't, because when I talk to students, you know what, one of their chief things of worry and concern out of love is? It's mom and dad. So I know you guys didn't. And see, if any of you had answered the questions, I would have, the joke there would have been, how about things we can't get rid of, like our parents? <laughs> so next time I ask, maybe you'll, maybe you'll participate. Because I want to know. I want to know. We need to know what, what you're worried about, what you wonder about, and what you're wishing for. Maybe you'll tell Nathan and Kara and your leaders, I know you do and you share with them, but we need to know too. Let me see a show of hands, and I want you to take a look at this. Don't raise your hand if you don't mean it. Let me see a show of hands. I want you guys all to look. If they had the courage 
And it takes courage to, to talk to us sometimes, grown-ups. If they had the courage to, to come to you and say, this is something that I need, how many of you would want to help them? Raise your hand. We need to know. We, we need to know what you guys need, what you worry about, what you wonder about, what you wish for. Please tell us. What about things? What about things that um, we can't control or get rid of? What about things that we do need and that we love and that we cherish like our kids? Or things like food or shelter or medicine or clothes? What about those things? Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount zeroes in on those things in particular when he talks to his disciples about worry? Fascinating, too, that he talks about worry after what topic in the Sermon on the Mount? What comes immediately before he says, therefore, don't worry? What's he talking about? Money. Hmm. Jesus zeroes especially in, and what does he say? See, many people overlook this, I think. I did until I took a close look at it again. I remember he said, don't worry. But I didn't know that what he did give us, he gave us the remedy he gave us the answer. He gave us the serum. He gave us the antidote to this kind of worry. What's the answer for defeating this kind of worry? He says, but seek first our heavenly Father's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, these needs at least, all these things will be yours as well. Are we suffering under the burden of worry over important things we can't control and things we need? If we are, we need to seek God's kingdom and seek his righteousness. And when we do that, our needs, is, our needs are met. And now, this is not a health and wealth message. And the reason it's not, remember, Jesus is not speaking to individuals. He's talking to a community, his community of disciples. His words are addressed to a community. Today, to the community of God's people the church, this church, because you see, when a community does this, seeks God's kingdom, seeks God's righteousness by loving God and loving others, when a community does this, no one has any needs guaranteed. Because the community provides for each other's needs. If anyone here has needs, and we as a people of God are not doing all we can to help meet those needs then we are failing miserably as a church. We need to know. I need to know. Your elders need to know. Staff needs to know. What do you need? There's going to be a line outside the church office tomorrow of everyone saying that they need a flat screen TV. <laughs> That's a want. Good. You got that right. Ah. Couldn't find a use for a flat screen TV that there would be a call. You'd use it to have kids come and watch and play games and fellowship. And so, but we need to know. And I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. It's hard to share with someone when you need something, isn't it? It takes humility. It takes vulnerability. It takes trust to say, hey, I need something. Can you help me? But we need to know. If we're not doing all we can to help you with your needs we're failing. Our time's coming to a close. I made a 
made a list of things we can do to eliminate worry. We've talked about some of them in detail, but here's just an overall list. I'll leave them up on the screen after the service if you want to copy them down. They'll be part of the online sermon later in the week if you want to come back as a, referen- as a reference. But what do we need? Here's a working list. What do we need to get rid of worry in our life? Here's these things, my working list at least. Number one, we've talked about get rid of those sources of worry we can't control. That may be the hardest thing, actually. It's sort of countercultural. It's not the American way to live closer to the line of need than the line of this is what I want. Second, provide for each other's needs helps eliminate worry. Third one, pray. Remember, we just came out of James. James promises us, promises us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when we're praying, we're communicating with God, and when you do that on a daily basis, you will draw closer to him, just like you would any person that you spend time talking to. So pray if you want to eliminate worry in your life. If you want to eliminate worry in your life, here's a good one for me to always focus on in particular I know in my life, develop a daily bread perspective. Bring it all down to today, to the moment, to the present. Warren Wearsby, a pastor, once made this comment. He said, it's often said that we are continually being crucified between two thieves, that we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, chimes in, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Another commentator gives this sound advice. The key is this, meet today's problems with today's strength. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You do not have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today, in Jesus' words, Father, give us our daily bread. Next one. Want to lower that worry in your life? Boy, meditate on Scripture. Devour it. Hagah! Some of you remember the Hebrew behind that word meditate. Feast on the guide that God gives us. Places in particular I go when I need encouragement and relief from worry, I read the creation story. Wow, isn't God beautiful? Isn't he a God of order? Isn't he powerful? Doesn't he love the universe, including me? Wow, he made me in his image. I'll go to Luke 2 and read about a certain baby being born. I'll read the passion narratives about Jesus giving his life and actually coming out of the grave and ascending to heaven. And then I'll take a peek at Revelation 4 in particular. It's one of my favorite. You get that picture of that throne of God, and you come away from that thinking, man, ain't no one on that throne but God. I'm with him. I think it's one reason why God asks us to spend time in the text. It encourages us, and it helps us to keep away from that temptation of worry that can just drag us down. Next one. Strive for obedience. Big scary word, obedience. But remember, biblically, obedience can be boiled down to one word, love. 
Strive for loving God with all of every part of you, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your might. If you're really worried about something, you want to try something, you want to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, do something loving for someone, and you watch God's promise come true and your worry level drop. Next one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When we look away, concern always moves toward the worry of despair and fear and hopelessness. So keep your eyes on him, even when worry starts to come up. That'll help dim our worry. And then this one, and we'll end here. One of my favorite pieces of advice for dealing with worry in your life. Take the time. Take the time to count your blessings and give thanks. Take the time to look around and to see what you do have and to see and remember what God has done and say thank you. Jesus teaching all of it. Jesus teaching all of it is rooted firmly in what he has done for us, what he is doing and what he will do. It's because he gave his life that we have kingdom life by which we can say thanks. These are some things that help me when I feel the creep of worry coming in and pulling at me. I hope they help you too. And I hope I hear from you other ideas that you have in dealing with worry. That's our first foundation stone. I don't think any question I got any question we got didn't have that in common. Let's do something on this list to eliminate worry. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, sometimes we end up being consumed by worry and I think we don't even know we are. Give us that humble guts, that courage to recognize perhaps a cultural tendency to do things just because we want to and because we can. Give us discernment on everything we do, whether it's everything we purchase or every action. What will this do to enhance or to allow me in partnership with you, Father, to love you and to love others? And if the answer is lacking Give us the guts, give us the courage to say no. Father, we love you. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today to express that love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you stand please for the benediction? This morning's benediction, God's good words of blessing come from the Apostle Paul. He must have read the Sermon on the Mount because he expands on it. It's great advice for us today, and I think in some way at least he hits everything on that list. This is what he says to the church in Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, make your requests to God. And the peace of God, the peace that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in context, my brothers and sisters, guard your hearts and minds from what? Worry. In Jesus' name, indeed, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, West Balls. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.